Ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Odds Maker! And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence! And now, let's get it on! Against the spread, Winning Picks with Mark Lawrence! Hi everybody, welcome back once again. This is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King, Andy Isco, and Jim Feist. And we're all set to go against the spread in this weekend's National Football League number five, college football number six. We're ready to kick it off this weekend with that, Victor. I'm going to welcome you into the show first. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mark. You know, uh, here we are Wednesday. And one thing that's fantastic, as of today on Wednesday when we record the podcast, there is going to be a stretch now of 49 consecutive days in which there's either a college football game or an NFL game to wager on. 49 <laughs> days in a row. I love it. What I don't love, Mark, is a um, – I'm steaming a little bit still from the weekend. It was our first overall losing weekend for our King Creole service. But for me, it just basically came down to one game. I'm not going to call it a bad beat, but you might even agree with me on this one, Mark. I'm specifically talking about the Kansas-Texas game on Saturday. Mark Lawrence had a four-star best bet on Kansas plus the points. Our service, our King Creole service, that was our highest rated total of the day. Kansas and Texas over 61 points. And Mark, I don't know if you realize this or not. I wrote it down here on a note here very, very quickly. But this was a frustrating game before the game even kicked off. Just as I was turning on my TV, it was announced that Kansas star quarterback Jalen Daniels, him with the quarterback rating of 173, suffered back spasms during pre-game warm-ups and was declared out of the game. Before the contest even started, uh, Kansas betters and over-betters were in serious danger. As a result, uh, senior second-string quarterback Justin Bean got the call at quarterback. He promptly stunk up the joints, only 14 points, 9 for 21 passing, only 136 passing yards. Now, we know the Longhorns did their part. They scored 40 points on 661 offensive yards. But, man, we had no chance with that last-second quarterback scratch. I don't know if you're aware of that, Mark, but that's probably the reason that Kansas didn't cover and why the game didn't go over the total either. I'm very aware of it, Victor. Uh, you know, I heard about it during the course of the game, obviously not before. It's out of our hands and out of our control. Something similar happened in the National Football League as well when Deshaun Watson was a last-minute scratch in that football game. Now, there was talk that he could not possibly be a scratch. That's why the game sort of came off the board for a little while, went to Baltimore, the favorite, for a little bit of a while. But uh, let me ask you this, Jim Feist. Uh, even when it became known that Deshaun Watson was going to be out of the game, it still went back to Cleveland being favored in the game. Uh, why the jumper the move? Uh, you know, they're speculating no Watson. They're going to adjust the price. It ends up being no Watson, but the bottom line is the price was not adjusted. How did you read into that? Uh, it didn't. It didn't make sense. I know the uh, the, the the young man that started DTR. Um, he's from, he, he went to, went to school here in Vegas and then went to use, uh, he, you know, UCLA. college. 
but they had a lot of hope for him, but I'm, it was, it was a mess. I mean, they also, you know, they lost a couple of weeks ago. They lost Chubb, yep. who's arguably the best running back was one of the top two running backs in the league. So now Watson and Chubb, the thing about Watson that really bothers me, and this, this really disturbs me when, when he was actually declared fit to go and he chose not to go. And I mean, this is the same guy that just paid $230 million to, I mean, I, I wonder about him. I, I really, it, it makes me scratch my head. makes me wonder about him because he hadn't really played all that well in the games he did play until the week before he played pretty well, but then he chooses, chooses not to go and throw a rookie in there in a very, very important game division contest. So you, you feel that the decision not to play was Deshaun Watson's, not so much the medical staff? The medical staff cleared him. And this is a fact. The medical staff cleared him. He chose not to go. Wow. That's 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 not good to hear. Like you say, when you're paying a, a guy a quarter billion dollars uh, to be playing on the on the field, and he, we saw him standing on the sidelines with the clipboard in his hand. But nonetheless, uh, you know, the, the game, the Browns game, at least you had it back and forth and you could have taken the points with each team. You could have laid points with each team and it didn't matter because as you said, no Nick Chubb, no Deshaun Watson, the Browns just simply weren't themselves in that football game. Baltimore, the hungrier team came in there and took care of business. Uh, but as far as the Kansas football game goes, Victor, that's just what you call in to a handicapper, a, not, not so much a bad beat, but a bad circumstance. Right. You know, when, when you find out something like that, uh, uh, you know, I was a little bit concerned about that, but uh, you know, the strange thing is, as you mentioned, Jason Bean come in and he stunk the joint up. But correct me if I'm wrong, uh, wasn't Kansas in the game until the fourth quarter? I mean, they were they were they were still covering the spread early in the fourth quarter of the football game, hanging right. around, I guess, but never a threat. Right, they absolutely did until Texas really turned things on in the fourth quarter of that game. Uh, at least someone, to his credit, rebounded very very nicely. Uh, somebody on this podcast had the Baltimore Ravens as his five-star game of the month in the NFL, and that would be, of course, uh, my man Mark Lawrence over there. Uh, a perfect 2-0 now in the first month of the season with his five-star best bet. So uh, nice way to rebound on Sunday, Mark. Thank you, Victor. Much appreciated, and uh, nice to see Baltimore come through. All I know is uh, I start working on the football newsletter Sundays, going to it knee deep Sunday night and uh, you get a win like that. You feel like uh, you're reinvigorated and all of a sudden doesn't bother you when you're up at two or three in the morning because you have a, that good feeling from cashing a ticket like that. Andy, let me ask you this question. Uh, there weren't a lot of major upsets in college football last week. And do you find that? To no, be there was bit... one. One. Okay. <laughs> the, the one that I was on, well, I don't know, well, major upset, but I did have central Florida. There you the go. Game against Baylor. Well, where they were up 35 to 10 or 35 to seven, I think at one point. Right. And they lost 36, 35 as Baylor scored 26 points in the fourth quarter. Fortunately, however, my bigger play in that game was the over. And I didn't think we'd have to sweat it out because they weren't getting close until Baylor put up some of those 26 points in the fourth quarter. But that's, oh. a, that's a tough one to look. But then again, I will say, you know, we always talk about our bad beats. I, what's the, I guess, what's the opposite of a bad beat? Would you call it like a miracle cover or something? Yeah. I had that with uh, Jacksonville State last Thursday night. 
uh, laying six and a half in that game against uh, Sam Houston, a team that had scored like uh, nine mm-hmm. or ten points in their first three games and were leading 21 uh, 20 late in the uh, it was late third quarter or early fourth quarter after Jacksonville State scored and missed an extra point. Uh, so they send they, they tend to say they balance out, but they really don't. There are more uh, Baylor Central Florida tough losses uh, with with a huge lead than there are Jacksonville State uh, miracle covers uh, as the one last week in the overtime where right, not only a, did things have yeah, they not only had to go right they needed to it closed at seven at most places it was six and a half much of the week but it still required uh, come from behind touchdown. Uh, two-point conversion, and then getting the first possession in overtime where if you score the touchdown, you kick the extra point. Right. Well, well the, done. The, the strange thing is, is uh, in in the world in which we live, the bad beats stick out like sore thumbs. But when you win, you're on the opposite end of those bad beats and you win a game that somebody was badly beaten in. Uh, you just take it off. And, well, that was a good handicap. We cashed and you move on and you know, you don't even uh, – <laughs> consider yourself blessed for the moment. You know, that's, a, that's, a, that's a funny point that you make there, Mark, because I stress this often when I'm talking to people. I said, if you want to be honest with yourself and you keep true handicapping records, you know, betting records, however you want to call it, you should make note of the games that you were very fortunate to win or even even games that you won, but they won not because of the way you handicapped the game. Now, all wins count as wins and you get paid the same you know, for the wins. But if you're measuring your handicapping ability and you want to factor in the luck part as well, you really need to do it both ways, both with the wins that you didn't deserve and the losses that you didn't deserve, or the fact that, well, I'm going to play this game because I expect this team should be able to rush for 250 yards against this other college team. And they win the game because they ran for 90 yards and passed for 300 out of characteristics. You won the game, but not nearly for the reasons that you thought you might. You know, that's a, that's a great point you bring up because, uh, When I interviewed Billy Walters, I had met him uh, a few years earlier with my good friend for his birthday. And when we had dinner and we were talking in the conversation came up the point that for as hard as we work and all the, uh, the data information that we have and so forth and whatnot, the bottom line is we very seldom win games for the reasons we thought we were going to win the game. Uh, (laughs) You know, you've got all these edges statistically to the rush. You've got the YPR stuff going. You've got all these good juicy things and you cash your ticket, you feel good. Then you look at the stats and it, uh, your YPR rush, you ended up getting outrushed, you know, things like that. So uh, we always I, play situations, let's say 58, 62, 65%. That's great. But in today's game, it's either going to be 0% or 100%. You're either going to win or you're going to lose. Over a period of time, those 58, 62% things will work out in your favor. But for an individual game, you're either going to be right or you're going to be wrong, regardless of the reason, regardless of how you handicap it. You have to keep that in perspective. That's why they say it's the long term. But what is meant by the long term? More than a week, more than a season, more than a year. Um, it, it all balances out. But again, for an individual game, it's either going to be 0% or 100%. Victor, does that apply in totals as well? Uh, winning a total that perhaps you shouldn't have, uh, as opposed to winning a total that you got extremely lucky in and uh, you, you just accepted it? Right. There is a luck factor uh, definitely involved in regards to some of these uh, totals as well. I mean, obviously, the one thing that you cannot handicap in the NFL is uh, freak scores, the scoop and score, the pick six, the kickoff or or fumble or uh, punt return for a touchdown. uh, Aspects that do happen in pro football, but are pretty much, uh, you know, unhandicappable, if you will. You know, Andy mentioned it was a rough week for the dogs in college football. He was right. They went uh, 
nine and 47 straight up last week in college football, only 23, 30 and three against the spread. Uh, it was also a rough week for the dogs in the, uh, in the pros in the NFL as well. Uh, they went three and 12 straight up last week, five, nine and one ATS. And on the year in the NFL, right around 500 uh, underdogs are 31, 29 and three ATS. It's been the division road dogs now over the last two seasons that have been the most profitable aspect for underdogs. Uh, they've already gone eight and four ATS this season, division road underdogs. Unfortunately, there are none going this week. The only game in which there may have been a shot. And in Tennessee, fact, Indianapolis. Two, right. In fact, there's only two division games at all this week in the NFL. But Andy just hit on it. At one point, Indianapolis was indeed favored at home over Tennessee, and there's been a little bit of a line swing. At the last time I looked, Tennessee was actually a one. By, by the way, you talked about uh, bad beats and totals. I'm sure we've all watched either regularly or occasionally uh, Monday's uh, bad beat segment with Scott Van Pelt, and he's always – I think it seems to be more heavily weighted toward totals that seem clearly yeah. winners with five minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and there's a lot of bizarre plays that happen. So, yes, they happen just as much in totals as they do in sides, and uh, for some reason we tend to remember the side bad beats more than the totals. Hey, guys, uh, before we move on to our college football game of the week, i want, I got to ask Jim Feist this question. We talked about winning games that you shouldn't have. Have you ever had the urge where you had a winning ticket that you shouldn't have cashed and decided to give it back to the sports book? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We we lost Jim on the voice, the volume there, but if I could read lips, I can understand completely what it is he's saying. (laughs) I, I read all the lips. I thought I just heard the word no. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> Who should be the expected one? <laughs> oh, silent words that are golden words from Jim Feist, guys. Okay, let's move over to our uh, first segment of the show. Uh, this is being brought to you by uwager.lv, where they feature Friday night minus 105 juice. You can bet every game from Friday through the Monday football games at minus 105. If you're if you're a true value player, this is exactly what you've got to do. You've got to search for the best price. And laying 105 is all part of that. You can take advantage of that at uwager.lv, where they also offer free same-day payouts. Log on at uwager.lv or give them a call. The number is 800-U-WAGER. With that, let's set up our college football game of the week. we got a beauty inside the Southeast Conference this week when Alabama takes on Texas A&M. And it seems like... Uh, Every week there's a beauty inside the Southeast Conference, and almost always Alabama's part of that picture here. But, uh, Victor, before I throw this out to everybody else, from an over-under perspective, how do you see this shaking out? Well, we're talking about Bama and Texas A&M, and uh, what is surprising is how low the over-under line currently is. We're somewhere around 46.5 to 47 points after the game opened at about 49 to 49.5. So, there has been uh, some sharp money driving the over-under line as low as it currently is. And we must point out that this is the lowest over-under line in this series in the last 10 meetings. Uh, currently, again, 46.5 to 47 points. Uh, in the last 10 meetings, the average over-under line between these two is 56.7. In terms of uh, uh, recent tendencies, 
four of the last five meetings between these two teams have actually gone uh, over the total with an average of 68.4 combined points per game. That's a lot of points when the Aggies play the Crimson Tide, that is for sure. Uh, this uh, year's line is similar to last year's line, which closed at 48.0 and a final score was at Alabama home win of 24 to 20. And based on the point spread mark, we're seeing Bama favored by about two over underlined 46 to 47. The implied score is Alabama 24 and a half, A&M 22 and a half. And man, that sure seems like uh, not a heck of a lot of points in a conference in which high scoring is usually the norm. With that said, A&M, we got two very good defenses here. A&M, number one defense in the SEC, number five overall in the country. They're only giving up 254. They're only giving up 18.6 points per game. Alabama checking in with the number 21 defense on the season. They're allowing less than 300 yards, currently at 298. They're allowing only 14.2 points per game. Uh, with that said, if I had to grade this, guys, on a uh, oh, one-to-five scale, I'm going to lean low like the rest of the sharp money and call this about a two-star opinion play as the uh, Bama A&M game sneaks just under the total. Victor's opinion play to the under in the football game, a small lean to the under in the contest. Uh, Jim or Andy, if you have any comments you'd like to make about this game, the first one I want to do before I turn it over to you guys is Victor talked about uh, the total in the series and how low it is as opposed to what it's been. I'm going to say this. You're talking about a two-point spread in the football game. The last seven games in the series – Alabama has laid 17 or more points against Texas A&M. 17 or more the last seven times in the series, and now they're laying a deuce. Any thoughts uh, that way with you guys? Uh, Jimmy, is your volume back up? Can you hear? I don't know if it's working. Can you yes, hear me? Yes, it is. Okay. I was going <laughs> to ask Victor, uh, I tried to, but it wouldn't work, um, about weather. You, we, and how the weather affects your total handicapping and at what point are you looking at the wind or the rain? Or what do you look at? Because we know we have all these storms that keep hitting. Well, you're on the East Coast, so you know it hit, hit the East Coast, and it does affect um, a, a lot of these football games. You're right. We don't worry about rain. We don't worry about precipitation. We don't worry about snow. Uh, any sharp better these days knows that the only impact, as far as the total goes, is the wind. And the last time I looked, uh, Obviously, any sharp totals better is going to look at the weather forecast. And uh, down there at College Station, uh, A&M is hosting the game. Precipitation chance, zero. But winds, anywhere from 15 to 18 miles an hour. And once you get into that 18, maybe 20, over 20 miles an hour, uh, that's a situation in which you pretty much want to go under in those type of games. So, it could be a little bit windy, but definitely thanks for bringing that up, Jim. Good point there, guys. Uh, Andy, your thoughts on this football game between the Aggies and the Crimson Tide? Looks to me like the loser of this game will be playing a non-college football playoff game. Yeah, in fact, that's exactly the point I was going to make, even though both teams uh, have a loss. And in fact, they both lost on the same day when Alabama lost to Texas and A&M lost at uh, a very good Miami team that very same afternoon. 
their chances for obviously an unbeaten season went down, but their chances of making the college football playoff were diminished, but necessarily only slightly because they're both unbeaten in SEC play. You could argue with some of the issues that LSU has been showing lately that A&M and Alabama figure to be the two teams competing for the uh, Western uh, division to likely go up against Georgia. Uh, so this game has extra importance. Now, in games like that, I tend to look under the total rather than over the total, especially with teams that generally play some pretty solid defense, and uh, both of these teams would qualify under that. Uh, I, I, if the line is, is three, if it goes back up to three, I'd be interested in playing the uh, the home underdog, but I'm not sure we're going to see the three, which to me makes it a um, – a, a, a toss-up as far as a bet goes, because you can make a case for both sides. You can make up the you can make the case that A and M arguably should have won last year, certainly could have won last year. That they've uh, played Alabama tough in a couple of the recent seasons, despite the uh, point spreads in those games. Uh, you can also make a case that Jimbo Fisher has never been able to succeed in really, really big games at the times when it counts. Well, now this one counts as much as any of the other ones have, because in past years. For example, it wasn't necessarily A&M as much as perhaps like an LSU uh, or even an Auburn on occasion that would be the challenger to Alabama in that half of the conference. So if I do anything in this game, I might wait to see what the public does. I don't think this is a setup move where they're going to bet the game low. We've talked about it before and then come back on the over. I think this is a handicapping move to the under figuring last year's game was 24-20. This one sounds like it's got pretty much the same thing and it may not even be as high scoring. I don't think Alabama's offense is nearly as good as it was uh, last year's. And, uh, you know, A&M's uh, is decent, but it still figures to me to look to be more the, uh, as a, a defensive struggle. Uh, and so if I were to play the game, I would still look under the total, although I'd want to get the best number possible. And maybe we'll see a little bit of action as we get closer to game days, because I have noticed, and Victor, you may have tracked this as well. It seems this year we've seen a lot of games take moves upward towards the uh, last few hours before the game uh, gets underway. Remember, we talked about the, uh, you know, the, the uh, first down stoppage and all that, and, and the unders came through early, but it's not been that way uh, since then. We've started to see normal uh, scoring patterns, uh, uh, not necessarily by design, but just certainly through, uh, through, through circumstance. Well, Andy, you mentioned about the Alabama offense being down this year. It's down considerably, especially when you consider uh, they come in here on a three-game win streak after losing in their second game of the season here, a home loss to Texas. But in those three wins they have coming into this football game, they averaged only 341 yards of offense in those three games. That's If you grade that out, that's poor, especially by Alabama standards or it grew, uh, uh, Power 5 standards. They've also got Nick Saban's really struggled in his career as a single-digit road favorite. In the conference, he's only 5-8 and eight to the spread against good quality opposition here. You have the revenge factor here for Texas A&M when they have conference revenge. They're 5-1-1 one, one to the spread. They're also 4-1-1 one, one to the spread as a dog. If I lean to this football game, it would be a lean to Texas A&M, but I just can't visually see Alabama dropping their second game of the season here in – early October and being out of the race. I think this is a very, very tough handicap. Jim, how do you see this looking from the outside as an NFL expert? Well, you got the, the pressure on, uh, on Alabama is, is enormous because like you said, if, if they lose this game, they're going to be out of the mix. This isn't when we're going to have 12 games, 12 teams in the mix. We still only have the four. So the, the pressure's on them. I expect them to rise to the challenge, honestly. 
Okay, guys, uh, let's move over to our National Football League game of the week. You're listening to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. I'm joined here with Jim Feist, Andy Esco, and Victor King on the National Football League side of things. Before we get to that game, I want to remind you once again that this segment is being brought to you by our friends at uwager.lv. I mentioned before the minus 105 juice on Fridays, where you can also pick up a monthly 5% rebate on all losses if you're a customer at uwager.lv. I like to get 5% of my money back whenever I lose a football game. But nonetheless, you can do that at uwager.lv, the home of free same-day payouts. Log on now at uwager.lv or give them a call, 1-800-U-WAGER. With that, we're going to set up our NFL football game of the week, and we're going to go to an early affair. you got to set your alarm clock real bright and early here. Mm. God, I don't know what you do, Jim, in Las Vegas. It's 9.30 in the morning here, 6.30 in the morning. Do you actually tune into the NFL football game at 6.30 in the morning and watch this game? Uh, I probably won't with this one, but I I will be up ahead of this game. But I'm doing work on the other games and and pretty active in the betting market. So I won't be watching, but I'll be up at the same time. It starts at 6.30. I usually get up about 5.30, so I'm okay with that. But it's not that interesting to me to uh, spend my time watching that game where I need to bet the rest of them and watch the weather changes and any any injuries. And we know, looking at last week, how many people and coaches and everything that changed before game time. And, and you have to be on top of that because um, the NFL is not out there with the information as early as I would like. It's becoming difficult to make too much of a, a a bet on these games when you don't have the good information about who's playing and what they're doing. And the um, inactive list usually comes out, I think, for the early games, like about an hour and a half, which is 90 minutes before kickoff, which would be roughly 8.30 a.m. Pacific time, meaning it's probably early third quarter in the uh, London game. So we're trying to get uh, information on, on the games that are coming up in a very short period of time. So Often I here in Vegas, I'll often follow the scores by looking at the ticker, but paying more attention to the inactives that are coming across, especially when there have been a number of key players who, you know, are quote unquote game time decisions. Well, Victor, how about the games in London, England in this international series? How have they fared overall generally with from an over under standpoint and more specifically, what do you see happening here between the Bills and the Jaguars? Yeah, guys, I definitely got some comments in the game, and if if I get a little too long-winded, just, you know, cut me off. But uh, we wrote a little blurb this week uh, in the Totals Tip Sheet uh, newsletter. There you got it, this week's issue, $11 hot off the press. And we're kind of in uncharted territory here. Uh, that's where the Jacksonville Jaguars find themselves in this week's, of course, international game. They're the first team in NFL history, to play international games in back-to-back weeks. Not only that, guys, but we were talking about this game before the show. And, you know, Jacksonville doesn't have much of a home field advantage. Let's be honest. They don't have a heck of a lot of sellouts there in northern Florida. But you know what? They may actually have an actual home field advantage this week. They're staying in London for the second week in a row, and they may actually have some of those – uh, British hooligan fans who may be rooting them out this week against the Buffalo Bills. But 
Some people might be a little bit confused at the high over underline. We're at 48 and a half to 49 points. That's a little bit confusing considering Jacksonville just played in London last week and the over underline against Atlanta was 42 and a half to 43 points. So why is this week's line a little bit higher? Well, number one, Buffalo's got an offense. Atlanta doesn't. But Buffalo's got a much better defense than Atlanta does as well. So they kind of cancel each other out a little bit. But I've got a theory. It's because this is being played at a different venue. Last week's game was played at Wembley Stadium in London, in which each of the last seven international games have gone under the total. It did last week when Jacksonville went under the total in their game against Atlanta. This week's game is being played in London still, but at the relatively new um, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. It was built back in 2019, and there have been, let me see here, six games played in the stadium now in the international series. Five of the six have indeed gone under the total excuse me, over the total at this venue Mm -hmm. to the tune of a five and one over under record average line here at this venue, 44.2 average combined points, 50.0 average OU line plus 5.8 points per game. Now we know why the over under line is so high in this particular game. With that said, guys, I'm going under, we're using it as a legit, Three-star play. I say that because Jacksonville's last five neutral site games in Europe have all gone under the total, including last week, only 36.9 points per game. Buffalo has been one of the league's better under teams on the road in the last year and a half. In fact, Buffalo's last 11 road games have gone two and nine over under. And for me, what puts the – uh, uh, the check mark next to the bet the under box is something that Mark wrote about in this week's playbook football newsletter in regards to this game. The fact that Buffalo is off three consecutive wins of 21 or more in which they cover the point spread by 20 or more points in each one of those games. I'm sure Mark's got the numbers. He may want to mention it in his uh, view in terms of the dog or the favorite, but we'll, we'll close it off with this. Since the 2004 season, NFL teams who are off three straight wins of 21 or more, like the Bills, have gone three and 15 over under in their next game, uh, one and 10 to the under in the last 10 years alone. So there you have it. Three dynamite convincing wins in a row. We go under the total in their next game. And that's the way we're going this one, guys. Bills, Jags, make sure you get 48 and a half or higher before you make your move on the under in London. Good investigative work from Victor King wow. about the stadiums uh, in London, between London and uh, hot, Tottenham's Hotspur. Jim, are you going to have a, any move or movement or play in this football game? I actually did play. I took six uh, based on on uh, the fact that uh, Jackson Jacksonville doesn't have to travel this week. That's a big plus. And uh, the Bills coming off in a, a huge game against Miami. So, and then putting <laughs> the factors in which I did not consider, but now I, I am considering the fact that Buffalo has played so well three weeks in a row after the lost first week against Jets, uh, which they should have won that game. But 
They didn't. And um, this could easily be a flat spot. It's a non-division game. Uh, Jacksonville has not played particularly well this year. And this is a big game, step-up game for Jacksonville against one of the best teams in football. I think it is too. Uh, you know, I also look at this a little bit here where, you know, Buffalo comes off that huge, huge uh, victory over Miami last week, a game that they surely wanted. They went out and got, and they got it in very, very impressive fashion. Now they have to pick up and go to uh, London to face the uh, second home team in London, the Jacksonville Jaguars coming in here. And Victor, you mentioned about Buffalo beating the spread uh, three times in a row by 20 points or more. We laid this out in the Playbook Football Newsletter this week, and it doesn't happen very much, obviously, for a team to roll by 20 or more to the spread three straight games in a row. And in fact, when they do that, they're pretty good from a straight-up standpoint. They're 6-1 and one straight up the next game. But when they take on an opponent that's coming off of a win, like Jacksonville, they're only 1-4 to the spread the five times it's happened. And that's exactly what I would see happening here is Buffalo coming back to earth in this football game and not getting anywhere near a 20-point spread margin win over Jacksonville in this particular contest. Andy, how do you see this game coming down? It, it, to me, it seems like it's a correlated parlay, meaning that if you like Buffalo, you probably like the over because you can't see Jacksonville trading points to a certain extent. If you like Jacksonville, you figure their defense will be able to contain Buffalo and the game will be a lower scoring. I, I suppose you could see Jacksonville and the over, but it's hard to imagine seeing that considering Jacksonville's relative lack of offense this year. And at the same time, Buffalo, despite the 48 to 20 a win last week, and I was on Buffalo. It was actually, I think, my top play of the week. They gave up a lot of yards. Uh, uh, they, they, or rather, they um, gave up a lot of yards to Miami, not quite as many as the week before, but I think 300 uh, passing yards to the Dolphins and 171 on the ground. So Buffalo's defense, even in that one-sided win, although although it was, you know, they traded touchdowns the first five drives. It was 20, uh, 21-14 before Buffalo continued scoring and Miami didn't. So uh, I, I could see... Buffalo's defense maybe getting a little bit of uh, action from Jacksonville. But again, I, I probably will stay away from the game because I just don't have the confidence in Jacksonville right now. They've had four games to show that they're the team that we saw over the second half of last year. They haven't really done that yet. Uh, and again, they did have that great effort against uh, Kansas City. They lost the game at home. They only scored nine points. They only gave up 17, so they show what they can do defensively. Although I still think, and I mentioned it before, wonder how much Kansas City uh, misses uh, Eric Bieniemy, his uh, schemes and his play calling. He's now the uh, offensive coordinator at Washington, who seems to have developed a nice offense. I mean, we we did see the Chiefs have their big outburst, 41 points against Chicago, but that was Chicago. The other three games, including Monday night against the Jets, they didn't put up the kind of numbers we're seeing. So uh, I take away from this game, I don't want to go against Buffalo as well as they're playing right now, even though the situation clearly calls for it both in a uh, regression standpoint from Buffalo, the travel standpoint combined with the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars being in London for a second straight week, meaning that they will have about 10 days to get accustomed to just about everything possible. So I'll probably pass the game unless I can find a reason to play either of the totals, but it'll be more on the fundamentals of the total rather than uh, a preference for either of the sides, despite my there, contention there is that's a, a correlation. There there's one other thing that we we don't talk about too much when when the, these teams go to london or to germany wherever they go they usually take their families with them now that, that's not normal i mean most of these teams will just travel and then go back home or go to another game that happens to be on the road as well but 
now they're going to pack their kids up and their wives and girlfriends and stuff and go along because they're going to a city they generally don't go to. And London's a very interesting place to go. I've been there many times. So not only do you beat Miami and celebrate by doing so because it's a division game, the big and the toughest division team that you have, now they're going to pack their families up and go all the way to London because it's a mini vacation usually after it. Now, that's not the case with Atlanta because they're not taking the week off, but most of the time they do. I'm just hoping that uh, one of the players doesn't slip up and take both his wife and his girlfriend. I was going to say that, Andy. I would say that. Uh, that could end up being disaster, okay? <laughs> but that's a good point that Jim brings out about it being relatively a vacation for the teams that do go over there. And there's theory and thought in handicapping about looking to fade some of these teams the game before they go to London because their mind is all about the tickets, the the airfare, the hotels, the, the all the this, the that, in preparation for travel. And then we always had the flip side of it when they came back from London. But, the, you know, they've gotten to the point now where it seems like we're finding more and more teams coming back from London do not take right. opt to take a week off. That's right. a choice that the teams have. It wasn't mandated by the National Football League. It was given to them as a choice. And uh, you're finding teams coming back from there that are opting to go right into the league play. They, I think what they're thinking probably is, is that rather have save that week of rest when it's more likely needed uh, in November as opposed to here in October. But nonetheless, you know, that's kind of all the weird things that happens here. What I'm going to be interested yeah. in this game is uh, we, we're going to have a matchup of what is a premier quarterback here in Josh Allen and a quarterback that looks like he is on the verge of becoming a premier quarterback and Trevor Lawrence, two great quarterbacks, uh, Lawrence on the come right now. And speaking about that, speaking about quarterbacks, Jim Feist did a great job. He did a segment for us, and he looked at all the quarterbacks in the National Football League and how they're faring this year. And, Greg, if you would, you roll it. Jim Feist's take on how the QBs in the National Football League are faring this year. Is anyone else confused out there about what's going on in the NFL with the quarterbacks? I mean, even some of the tried and true guys, Mahomes, Hurts, they're not really sharp yet. But Bill Belichick said years ago that the first four weeks of the season are really like a preseason because they don't play enough in preseason, nor do they practice enough. So across the board, whether it's just quarterbacks or all players, we can't make too much of a judgment because with the remaining 13 games after we've seen four weeks, a lot of things are going to change. Now, one of the biggest busts so far is Joe Burrow. He's hurt. He's got the, the calf injury, ankle injury. Originally, we thought it was an Achilles injury. He's not pushing off on his right, right leg. Very inaccurate. They're not scoring. There's messes in the league. I mean, look at Pittsburgh. Do they have a quarterback that can make it in this league? Look at Young for the Panthers. He's too small. He shouldn't have been drafted number one. Stroud for Houston was a much better pick. Houston has themselves a quarterback. And Indianapolis looks like they have one in Richardson. But when you talk about the older guys, Purdy is right up there at the top. Mahomes is slacking a little bit, doesn't look like normal. So Hurts, a little bit different. 
They lost their offensive and defensive coordinator, so the team is not playing as sharp. Howell for Washington. He looks like he has a big upside, playing well. Down in Arizona, everybody thought Arizona was going to be terrible. Their quarterback, this young guy, Cleveland want him. Of course, when Cleveland doesn't want you, maybe that means you want to be somewhere in the league because they never make good choices. And speaking of Cleveland, Deshaun Watson, supposed to play, supposed to play, supposed to play. Last minute, he scratches himself. Who knows? But it makes it difficult to get too involved, upside or downside with these people after only four weeks. It's all going to change over time. More coaching. Now, the other night, <clears throat> Zach Wilson, the way he played against the Chiefs, he can play in this league. He can start in this league. Can he continue to play like that? I don't know. Is it the offensive coordinator? Is it the game plan that they have? Are, they, are these coaches holding back these kids from growing? Are they not teaching them properly? Are they not schooling them from the college game to the pro game? We don't know that yet, but a lot of people are saying that's the truth. But there's a lot of good players out there coming out of college. There's about seven quarterbacks coming out of college that a lot of people think can make it in the NFL. It's going to be an interesting transition to 24, 2024, I should say, because we're not going to know who to keep, who to transition to, who to replace because they come in on the rookie deals. It's going to be a big change. Right now, the NFL is in a down season. Most of the teams just can't play good football. There's a few really good teams. San Francisco on the top. Buffalo looked great the other day. Tua was playing great, got sacked a lot the other day, got beat up a lot the other day. Offensive line has a lot to do with that, and Buffalo is very good at putting pressure on the quarterback. We've got a lot to learn. Keep watching. Don't get too involved. Just keep it low until we know exactly what's going on. But you talked about uh, you know the travel and everything and, the, and taking the families and everything over. It's an example of one game. But it's the only one we have because this is the first time a team has played back-to-back -back games. Right before going to London for the two back-to-back -back games, that's the game that Jacksonville lost horribly at home as the uh, huge favorite against uh, Houston. Wondering if maybe because of the fact that they were going to be away for two weeks, that there was extra preparation, extra distractions in getting ready for that trip immediately uh, thereafter after the game, as opposed to just saying, oh, well, it's just going to be another road game and we'll be back. It'll just take a little just a little longer road trip. So, again, it's only a game of a sample of one game. But let's see if the league does that again next year where they have Jacksonville or perhaps some other team play back to back games where they where there's additional distractions knowing you're going to be away for that extended period of time. Greg, Greg, did Andy's comments come aboard here? Yeah, you're live. You might as well oh. just keep rolling. Okay, Greg, great. Let, I didn't let know let if me Andy throw out something here, guys. Uh, Jacksonville is not even taking a week off after two games in London either. They're going to be hosting the Colts next week. And they're with British accents. They're and, and come until week 10. And the same and, thing with Buffalo Bills. Mark, you touched on it. This is the new thing in the NFL, not taking that bye week after the international game. Buffalo will be hosting the New York Giants next week as well. So, again, isn't that a bye week essentially? What's that? When the Bills play the Giants? Uh, no, the Bills play the Giants on October 15th. 
Yeah, right? that's, another, that's effectively a well consider the opponent. I'm trying to be a little cute here. <laughs> a good one. I get you. As long as you're talking about the that's, that's what they that's what they call a bank joke. Only the somebody teller gets really it. misrepresented at the GM position in terms of New York. This giant team, man, is bad looking. They got a bad offensive line. They got a quarterback who's going downhill again. They got an injured running back. They have nothing in terms of a receiving core, and they got an injury pro tight end and a horrible offensive line. The Giants did nothing in the offseason in terms of their GM to address that problem. Well, they've also been outscored 64 to 3 at home this year. <laughs> That's they, tragic. They, I'm sorry, they, Jim, you're going to say something? Buffalo's a 13 point favorite already in that game. It opens 12, went up to 13. Yeah. It's probably going higher. It looks like it is. Right. And it, it's, uh, there, there are a lot of pathetic teams in the NFL this year, which makes it um, somewhat difficult to handicap, you, you just can't accept in your mind that some of these teams are that bad, but they are that bad. And it's uh, it's not what we're not normally seeing, but we're going through a transition in the NFL now where we're, we, we got rid of a lot of the really good quarterbacks as they aged out or got hurt. And now we're, we're you know, they, I don't know how the Giants figured that they wanted, wanted to pay uh, Jones that much money because he certainly is not worth it. No, not at this point for sure he's not. No. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. We're talking NFL right now at the moment. We enjoy Jim Feist preview or review, I should say, of how the quarterbacks have fared in the National Football League this year. And it's time for Andy Isco's segment as he takes a look at how the contests are faring in Las Vegas this year. If you would, Greg, let the roll what Andy has to report on the contest in Vegas. And once again, from Las Vegas, I'm here to present the contest standings in several of the major football handicapping contests being conducted in Las Vegas throughout the uh, state of Nevada as well. I begin each week with the Golden Nugget Contest. This is a contest that doesn't attract a lot of, a lot of entries, only 153 entries this year at $1,000 an entry, but it is the one contest that offers handicappers an opportunity to handicap both college and pro football. The contestants make seven selections a week, so a total of 28 selections have been made through the first four weeks of the contest. You are able to use college size. Sides, NFL sides, or any combination thereof. No totals, colleges, or pros are included. And generally, every game on the board is available, for which there is a live point spread at the time that the lines come out, which is generally 2 p.m. Pacific time, Wednesday afternoon at the Golden Nugget here in Las Vegas. Through the first four weeks of the contest, there is a single leader who is at 20 and 8 ATS against the spread for a total of 20 of a possible 28 points. And that's good to an equivalent rate of 71.4% of picking winners. And some folks like to look at the number in the Golden Nugget contest and compare the leader's percentage to those in the NFL, NFL only uh, contest. Now the percentages don't mean that much this early in the season because we're only talking about a handful of games. But generally over the course of the season, we can expect that the percentages in the colleges would be higher than the leading percentages in the pros simply because of the fact that there are more games from which to choose. You have to make five selections against uh, at most 16 games in the NFL in the uh, NFL only contest, whereas you've got to make seven selections against a potential of maybe 80 to 90 games a week uh, in the colleges and uh, and NFL combined. So the one leader is at 71 point. 4%. That's 20 points out of a possible 28. And that's good enough for just a one point lead 
of uh, over six contestants who have 19 points out of a possible 28 through the first uh, four weeks of the contest. Now we'll take a look at the main contests that draw the most interest. And those are the contests sponsored by the uh, Westgate Hotel and Casino Racing Sportsbook and the Circa Racing Sportsbook here in Las Vegas. The Westgate sponsors two contests. Uh, each with a, uh, uh, with a with an entry fee in which you pick five games a week against a point spread that is established and remains static. Point spread is established and uh, available approximately 5 p.m. on Wednesday afternoons here in Las Vegas Pacific time. The main contest, the Super Contest Classic, has an entry fee of $1,000. The winner-take-all Super Contest Gold has an entry fee of $5,000, so considerably fewer entrants in the Super Contest Gold with its winner-take-all and steep uh, entry fee. 92 entries this year. Those entries are competing for a total of $460,000. There are tiebreakers, so there uh, will be, uh, barring uh, a very, very minuscule chance of uh, multiple tiebreakers all falling at the place, there will be a solo winner of $460,000 at the end of the 18-week, 17-game regular NFL season. In the uh, contest, I generally report on the consensus play, so folks can uh, chart along the results or the selections each week. Next week, we'll be providing some more information on how you can access those selections uh, prior to hearing the review. So you can actually follow them live if you uh, wish to. Of the top five selections each week and prior to the uh, week four card being played in the NFL in the gold contest, super contest gold, the uh, consensus was 10 and 10, 50 percent for the season. The top five selections for week four in which the selections went three and two, the number one selection uh, was a losing selection, the New England Patriots uh, over the Dallas Cowboys. Patriots losing badly in that game. That was the number one selection. The number two and three selections were the two winning selections. The second most popular selection, the Buffalo Bills in their uh, key win over the Miami Dolphins and the game in London, Jacksonville, the number three selection, and they covered winning easily against Atlanta. The number four selection last week was on the uh, – uh, the Monday night game, uh, the uh, so there were the three winners, three and two this week. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks in a pick 'em against the Giants, and the uh, fifth and final selection. So the one and five selections lost two, three, and four all won. The number five selection, the Cleveland, uh, the shorthanded Cleveland Browns with Deshaun Watson not to, uh, being able to play, uh, losing at home uh, to the uh, Baltimore Ravens. Cleveland, a two point, two and a half point favorite. So the consensus three and two for the uh, uh, for the week, that's 10 and 10 for the uh, consensus in the uh, uh, Super Contest Gold. One leader has a record of 14, 5 and 1. That's 14 and a half out of a possible uh, 20 points through four weeks. That's 72.5%. And that's good enough for a half point lead over two contestants who have 14 out of a possible 20 uh, points. Now, the Super Contest uh, Classic, which is the one that's been going on since the late 1980s, uh, that drew 1,301 entries this year. The consensus coming into uh, this this uh, past week four was 12, and, uh, I'm sorry, was nine and six. It's now 12 and eight as the top five selections this week went three and two. Uh, 
the number one selection in the Super Contest Classic, the Jacksonville Jaguars. As we noted before, they were a winner in their game in London against Atlanta. The number two selection, as we noted before as well, the Buffalo Bills uh, in their game over uh, Miami. That was a winner as well. Uh, the number three selection was the top selection in the gold contest, the New England Patriots, who uh, also, as we noted before, uh, lost to the point spread badly in uh, their game at Dallas. The number four selection was a winner also in the uh, uh, as it was in the Super Contest uh, uh, Classic, the Seattle Seahawks with their win Monday night over the New York Giants. And again, uh, we matched up with selections as the Cleveland Browns were the fifth most popular choice in the overall contest. Uh, the Super Contest Classic, and of course they lost uh, outright as two and a half point favorites at home to uh, to uh, Cleveland to uh, excuse me to Baltimore. Now, uh, just to give you an idea of the number of popular selections, just to show you the great difference in the Super Contest Gold this past week, the uh, top selection, the New England Patriots, drew 42 out of the 92 entries. Uh, the most popular selection in the Super Contest Classic of the 1,301 entries, uh, the number one selection, uh, the Jaguars, 413 contestants. So a significant difference and perhaps the results of the Super Contest Classic more meaningful in terms of how handicappers as a whole are doing, at least as far as the Super Contest goes. Interestingly enough, Buffalo had 410 on uh, on their uh, side in the Super Contest Classic, just three behind the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. And of course, both of those can uh, can, uh, selections won. Turning now to what's become the two biggest contests, uh, uh, certainly in Las Vegas and probably worldwide, and those sponsored uh, by the uh, uh, Circa Race and Sportsbook uh, here in Las Vegas. Two contests, the Circa Millions, which has a guaranteed prize pool of $6 million, and the Circa Survivor, which had a guaranteed prize pool of $8 million, but any excess in the entry fees would go to the prize pool, and that's a slightly over $9.2 million, so slightly over 9,200 uh, contestants. 5,274 entrants in the Circa Millions, where you pick five games against a static point spread that is uh, released about 15 hours or so, uh, 15, 20 hours after the Westgate. Uh, uh, Circa releases their contest lines Thursday mornings around 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific time. And again, looking at the consensus for the uh, uh, for the week four uh, card uh, coming into the week, the consensus selections were eight, six and one. And in this contest, uh, the selections went just two and three. So a slight change from the popular selections in the um, uh, in the Westgate contest, although only one differing entry. Uh, the winner, uh, the most popular selection of the Jacksonville Jaguars, 1,686 of the uh, 5,274 eligible entries were on the Jaguars as they won and covered against Atlanta in London. Uh, the Buffalo Bills uh, were, uh, interestingly enough, not the second most popular selection. That was the Pittsburgh Steelers. So actually two differences in the two contests. Pittsburgh had 1529, and that was a losing selection, laying two and a half on the road at uh, Houston. The third most popular selection, Seattle on Monday night with 1385 uh, contestants picking that one as they were a pick em and they defeated the uh, New York Giants fairly solidly. The number four selection, another difference from the uh, Westgate contest, the Cincinnati Bengals chosen by 1338 entries, and they lost as a two point road favorite at Tennessee. 
and then the fifth most popular selection, also a losing selection, and also the fifth most popular selection in the Westgate contest, the Cleveland Browns, 1166 picked uh, the, the Cleveland Browns in their home contest against Baltimore, in which they were upset as two and a half point favorites. So uh, for the week, the two and three consensus uh, with the winners being Jacksonville, Seattle, and the losers being uh, the uh, Cleveland Browns, Pittsburgh Steelers, and Cincinnati Bengals brings the season's results to 10, 9, and 1 for the con- for the consensus. That's 52.5% uh, winners. As far as the standings go, two consensus got off to a solid start, 17 and 3. Uh, that's 85% against the spread, 17 out of a possible uh, 20 points. And actually, week four marked the end of the first of the quarterly prizes sponsored by the contestants. So they shared first and second place. Each of those uh, contestants who were 17 and three each took home $105,000 from the uh, quarterly prize pool. So their season off to a very, very good start. Now we get to uh, what's probably become the most popular contest possibly ever. And that's the Circus Survivor. As with the Circa Millions, it it carries a $1,000 entry fee. The conditions for the Circus Survivor, you make one pick a week on one team, and if they win their game, they advance. If they lose or tie, that entry is eliminated. You cannot use a team more than once. So, for example, the people who took the uh, Buffalo Bills this week uh, and won with their win over the Dolphins, uh, they cannot use them again throughout the 20 weeks of the contest. And I say 20 because the uh, weeks of Thanksgiving and Christmas are broken into two separate contest weeks. And so contestants do have to be careful that they have teams alive for the four games that will be played on the first part of the Thanksgiving week, which is that Thursday and now the Friday, Black Friday game between Miami and the Jets. And also for thanks for Christmas Day, the first part of Christmas week includes 13 games. The final part of Christmas week are the three games scheduled to be played on Monday, December 25th. For the season, 9,267 contestants or entries were uh, were in the contest. Through the first three weeks of the contest, 6,884 entries were eliminated. Just a shade under 75% of the entire field was eliminated through just the first three weeks of the contest. Form held much more uh, in, in, in fashion uh, in week four as only 96 entries were eliminated. Uh, the uh, In fact, the first... Seven most popular entries in the Survivor Contest uh, this past week, uh, which uh, included the 49ers as the number one uh, selection, and there, they were 1,197 entries on that. Uh, then it dropped down to 347 on the Eagles, 289 on the Chargers, followed by uh, selections on the Vikings, the Chiefs, uh, the um, the Vikings, the Chiefs, and, uh, well, a couple of others that I didn't note down here. They only had one selection each. Uh, overall, the, uh, the 96 entries, the most popular ent- entries to go down, 47 with the Pittsburgh Steelers, 28 on the uh, New Orleans Saints, including yours truly, sadly. But uh, it was a good spot, and I can't regret the play, even though it lost. Disappointed, but uh, not uh, uh, not upset. Uh, however, the people who would be upset last week were the five c- entries that did not submit a selection. Five of those uh, comprised uh, uh, part of the 96 that were eliminated. So right now, heading into week five, 2,383 uh, entries remain alive. That's just over 25% of the original field. The first 
three, uh, excuse me, the first uh, three seasons of the Circa Millions contest produced multiple winners at the end of the season. Uh, with 2,383 consensus, it's still likely that a number of them co could go 20 and zero because remember last year, we just had slightly over 6,100 entries. That increased by about 50% this year with over 9,200. So uh, we'll see uh, what the, the following weeks hold. And of course, it gets more difficult each week because the number of available teams for the remaining entries uh, decreases. And again, keeping in mind the uh, requirements to uh, have a team eligible uh, to be used on uh, Thanksgiving Day and the uh, second part of Christmas week on Christmas Day limits the availability or the ability rather to use some of the teams, some of the better teams in the league that you might like to, because as you would expect, it's a very attractive lineup for the most part on Thanksgiving Day and Thanksgiving Friday and a very attractive lineup on Monday, Christmas Day and their three games. So a lot of the high profile playoff Super Bowl contending teams may be available or may need to be available for those entries still alive at that time of the season. And with that, uh, I'll return it to Mark with uh, uh, the uh, conclusion of our weekly contest wrap-up. We'll do it again for week number five next week. Once again, great job, Andy, as always, keeping us up to speed on what's going on in all the major contests in Las Vegas. And as you usually do on the show, we, I think we passed it last week, but we're going to get back to it this week. The major line moves that we should be aware of on the National Football League card this week, at least based upon what the openers went out last week and what's looking at, we're looking at perhaps this week. What do you see for these NFL line moves? Well, you know, Mark, uh, we always talk about perceptions and then the season begins. And, of course, we know that the Westgate, I think uh, I think uh, William Hill this year, other properties as well, uh, put out advanced lines for all 18 weeks of the season back over the summer. And I'm not going to say they become meaningless at this point in the year because we've already had, for example, four games played. But it does give us an idea of just how wrong uh, many of us were, including the lines makers, when they made these uh, uh, these lines back in July and August, and it just goes to show you how much things can change in a very short period of time from what we expect from a team at the start of the season and to uh, how the season plays out. So, for example, on uh, the Thursday night game between the Bears and the Commanders uh, during the offseason, this game was listed as a uh, pick em. Uh, the uh, perception was that the Bears might be much improved and that uh, the 40, uh, 49 the commanders might not be quite as good as last year when they uh, challenged for the playoffs deep into the season. And indeed, uh, they, the expectations for the Bears has been completely off base. When they put the advanced 10-day lineup uh, for this game before the games of week four were played, but after the games of week three were in the books, the commanders opened a four and a half point favorite. The lines come down, those advanced lines, as we get towards kickoff on Sunday. And when they put it back up Sunday afternoon, the commanders were up to six point home favorites. Been bet down a little bit to five and a half, but that's a significant difference illustrating what can happen in just a very short period of time versus what happens over the summer. So there will be a number of games this week and in following weeks where I will refer back to that summertime number just to see if indeed uh, we and the uh, listeners, viewers agree that such an adjustment is warranted based upon what will be an ever-expanding body of work, but still significant adjustments. Uh, another game that was interesting as far as the line move over the summer, the Lions were six-point favorites at home against Carolina, their opponent this week. When the advance line came up, 
they had been adjusted up to a seven-point home favorite based upon their early season play and the Panthers' uh, poor play so far. And a lot of the betters thought that uh, uh, might not be enough of an adjustment from the summertime line. And, in fact, they bet it up to seven and a half before it came down on Sunday. When the games on Sunday were complete, the uh, Lions were adjusted from seven and a half up to eight and a half. It's since risen up to nine and a half. So even more sentiment coming in, uh, positive on the Lions, uh, negative on the uh, uh, Panthers. The Giants and Dolphins is another example where I'll go back to the summertime line. Giants playoff team last year, expected to show improvement. Dolphins considered to be a much improved team, perhaps a legitimate challenger to Buffalo coming into the season. And indeed, we've seen that in, that the that the Dolphins are indeed a, a challenger. The the over the summer line had the Dolphins favored by five. Well, when the advance line came out a week ago Tuesday, it was double that. The Dolphins were ten point home favorites against the Giants. Uh, the uh, line opened on Sunday afternoon, slightly adjusted. This is uh, before the uh, uh, the evening game. Uh, the uh, Dolphins were nine and a half point favorites. They were bet up to 11 uh, right after the Monday night game was uh, uh, was played. The, the uh, Dolphins were adjusted to an 11 point favorite on a Tuesday morning. Uh, the Ravens and Steelers, and that's a game that uh, has always been competitive going back. Really, you know, John Harbaugh has been coaching the Ravens since 2008. And Mike Tomlin has been coaching the uh, uh, the Steelers since 2007. Only Bill Belichick has a longer tenure. So a lot of history, a lot of fami uh, familiarity. So it was a little bit surprising. I've always felt that this contest, the line should be a solid three uh, for either team. And I've always taken the three points, whether it be, uh, with the underdog, regardless of where it's been played and who the underdog has been. And actually, I did a write-up this week where I talk about uh, something like uh, 13 of the last uh, 33 games that these coaches have met each other. 13 have fallen exactly on a three-point final, and another five more have been uh, uh, less than five points, I believe, if I remember the number. So I was surprised that the um, advance line had the Ravens two-and-a-half-point uh, road favorites in the game. Uh, after uh, Sunday's action, and we saw the uh, injury to uh, Pickett for, for the Steelers, we don't know his condition for this week yet, although it's, it, 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 it's looking like there's a possibility, if not a probability, that he may be cleared to play, but we won't know for a couple of days. Nonetheless, the Ravens opened as four-point road favorites, sort of an adjustment. Actually got bet up to four-and-a-half at, at, uh, at one time, down to three-and-a-half. They're currently sitting at four, which is uh, that kind of like neutral number, and once the condition of Pickett is made clear that four may go upwards if he's not going to play uh, because uh, then you rely on the great Mitch Trubisky to come in as his uh, backup uh, or the line will come down. Uh, probably I, I wouldn't be surprised if the line comes down to, to three where it's been historically. Uh, interestingly enough, over the summer, after saying all this, the Ravens were two and a half point road favorites, which is where they were uh, 10 days ago. Another interesting game uh, because of the injury concerns with uh, Joe Burrow and the Bengals over the summer, the Bengals were seven and a half point road favorites at Arizona. When the advance line came up before this past week's game at Tennessee was played, the Bengals were seven point road favorites, even acknowledging the fact that Arizona has exceeded expectations that were very low for them with their early season play. And the Bengals have been struggling largely due to the injury uh, to Burrow. Well, once it became a little bit clearer that uh, Burrow uh, is hurt a little bit more, hasn't recovered as much as we expected. The reposted line Sunday evening had the Bengals favored, but 
this time down to a five-point favorite. That has since been bet down uh, to a, a, a three-point favorite. And I'm wondering if uh, the public doesn't, uh, or the betters who do that, wouldn't mind if Joe Burrow does play, considering the fact that he's not been effective so far. And so I want to keep an eye on uh, on that one. Uh, one more game uh, worth uh, uh, talking about, and that's the game between the Chiefs and the Vikings. Kansas City's not been overly impressive this year, but Minnesota, 11-0 in one-score games last year. Well, they're 1-3 uh, straight up this year. All four of those games, one-score games. So maybe what goes around comes around. The season, the, the summer line did have the Chiefs favored by five. They were six-and-a-half-point road favorites in the advance line uh, last Tuesday. Uh, when uh, the Sunday night game was played, and uh, b- well, before the Sunday night game was played, the line was reposted at six and a half, taken down for the mo- for the Sunday night game. Monday morning, it was re- it was adjusted down, and they opened five and a half because of the Jets' comeback in that game. And again, Kansas City not looking like the team that we're accustomed to seeing on a consistent basis. That line actually had been bet up then to six, but currently in the 48 hours since then. Uh, the line, uh, the, assuming uh, about 36 hours since then, the line has been bet down to where the Kansas City Chiefs are merely four-point road favorites at Minnesota. So Minnesota does have a tendency to play one-score game, so the four-point line falls right in place there. We just don't know if they're going to be a winner or a loser of that one-score game this week. It was Andy Isco with an update on the line moves that have happened in Las Vegas from last week to this week. Great job and interesting to know those line moves before the weekend gets here. Before we go to our round table where all of us are going to talk football, uh, I'm going to share with you guys also that Victor King does a segment for us, terrific segment. We get Victor's take on an NFL over-under review and a preview, plus a play from Tuco on an NFL team total. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. I got to hear what Tuco has to say along with Victor's review and preview. Greg, if you will. Hi again, everybody. It is Victor from Mark Lawrence's playbook, and I'm the NFL over-under guy. If you see over there, I'm also the author of the playbook totals tip sheet. And there's a picture of this week's tip sheet number five, as we are now officially four weeks into the 2023 season. We'll do a real quick review. We'll do a quick preview of week five. And if time permits, We'll bring in King's best friend, Tuco, for one of his NFL free team totals in week five as well. So let's get into it. Last week's magic number in the NFL, 43.5. That was the average combined points per game in all 16 games in the NFL in week number four. 43.5 combined points per game in pro football. And if that seems a little bit low, you're definitely right. Of course, we're following a 2022 season last year in which there were only 118 overs and 151 unders. And, of course, this season, the 2023 version has started out in much the same way. A lot of teams are struggling on offense. In fact, only six teams right now are averaging more than 390 offensive yards, which is kind of the metric between a very good offense and offenses that are not very good. On the flip side, there is a whopping 16 teams, and that's half of the entire league, that are averaging 320 or less offensive yards per game. 
As a result, here are the over-under totals to the first four weeks of the season. In week one, there were four overs, 12 unders. In week two, a big rebound week, 13 overs, three unders. Week three went five and 11 over-under. That's five overs, 11 unders. And finally, last week, we settled in at seven overs and nine unders. Eight teams out of 32 have had more overs than unders on the season, while 14 of the teams have had more unders than overs. We're going to move into our next page, which is this week's All Systems Are Go section. And again, we do want to point out that the primetime games have still been pretty low scoring in the NFL. There's been 14 of them. And of course, a primetime game is any of the NFL games that are played at night. And again, those games have gone now four overs, 10 unders on the season. And that was after the Monday night game, the Seattle Giants game went under the total. Those games have averaged only 41.8 points per game. Now, let's run into this quick week five preview if I can. And aside from the fact that we have another one of the uh, games across the pond in London, and we'll be covering that on the Mark Lawrence podcast, there are five games this week in which once again, a road team is favored. If we continue to follow the hot over-under pattern over the last year or so, the sharp better is going to be betting more unders than overs in these games. That's because since the start of last season, NFL games in which the road team is favored have gone an extremely one-sided 42 and 83 over-under. That's only 42 overs. 83 unders. That's 66% under the total. So here are this week's five games in which the road team is favored. I'm not saying we're going to go under in all five of them, but if you do decide to bet them, play more unders than overs. Those five games this week in which the road team is favored, Baltimore favored by three and a half on the road against Pittsburgh, Cincinnati favored by a field goal at Arizona, The Eagles favored by four and a half on the road against the Rams. KC favored by five against Minnesota. And the Monday night game, Green Bay minus two against Las Vegas. With that said, we're going to give the ball to our boy Tuco. That is King's best friend. And there he is on the side. There is Tuco. And you know what? Tuco's team total of the week was a winner last week on this show with the Houston Texans to go over 19 and a half points. As you can see, the play for this week from our boy Tuco is in the Monday night game. No, we're not playing the over in the full game, but we're playing the Packers to go over their team total of 22 and a half points on the road in Las Vegas. Now with a full 10 days to prepare for this game and to rest up from the most recent game, which was way back last Thursday, Tuco feels very, very good that the Packers will finally have all hands on deck in terms of their offensive weapons. This is the first time all year that there'll be no play counts, no pitch counts. The entire offense for Green Bay is healthy. They're already 3-1 and one to the over on this season, and their scoring average on the road is 31.0 points per game. 
I've got a couple of pertinent database numbers that I gave to Tuco. NFL favorites off a Thursday division home loss have averaged 27 points per game in the last 10 years. Monday night, non-division road favorites like the Packers averaged 27.1 points per game last season. Finally, you know, on the Raiders side of things, they're one of only three defenses this year in the NFL, the Raiders, that has allowed 100% touchdowns when their opponent gets inside the 20-yard line. In their last 10 home games, dating back to last season, the Raiders have allowed an average of 26 points per game at home. It's a fairly short number for the Packers, over 22.5 points. That's your free NFL team total for week five, courtesy of our dog, Tuco. Don't forget this week's totals tip sheet newsletter is available at the playbooksports.com website. That's your review and preview for week five. Let's get back to the Mark Lawrence contest and best of luck with all of your selections this week. Once again, rock solid job as always from Victor King talking about NFL football totals, Victor and Tuco. Wishing nothing but the best of luck to each of you this week. And now it's time for our roundtable where we're talking football. And with that, Greg, our producer, is going to kick things off. And I'm going to also invite our listeners to send in questions, any questions you might have that you want to ask us, any of us on the panel, about anything on the College of Pro Football Cards, send it to us. Simply look down below the screen. You can check the like sign. You can also register and subscribe to the channel, become a regular subscriber to this channel. Send us your questions or comments about our roundtable discussion talk, and we'll be glad to share those with you. With that, Greg, what do you want to open this roundtable talk up with? All right. I want to ask each of you first. We'll start with uh, you, Jim. We were watching the Washington-Philadelphia game. Washington scores the touchdown. Did you think that they were going to go for two? And did you believe they should have gone for two at the time? Well, I'm not. Um, the, I, one of the subjects I want to talk about someday is is coaching and the <laughs> effectiveness of some of the, the coaches and, and the bad decisions they make. I thought they should go for two. I would have gone for two. First of all, you're playing a you're playing a Super Bowl team that was there last year and almost won it, and you're a big underdog, and you know that, and you got a chance to really put a stamp on this thing and and make make a big difference and and you know grow a pair, go for it, and try to win the game here, and they didn't, and of course, predictably, they ended up losing, but yes, it was a it was a bad decision, but there's bad decisions all over the league not only by head coaches, but offensive offensive coaches. And one of the things that someday I want to talk about in the roundtable, I don't know, probably no time, about how poorly some of these coaches are with these young kids that are coming out of college in the development phase. And if you get, if you're fortunate enough to go to a team that has a good head coach or a good offensive coach or a quarterback coach, these kids can develop into something really special or poor coaching can ruin their careers. So maybe someday we can talk about that. You know, what completely blew my mind uh, with that question that Greg asked you, Jim, is 
that Ron Rivera revealed afterwards when asked why he didn't go for two. His nickname is uh, Riverboat Ron. Yes. And you'd think for sure he would have done that. But his answer was his team was gassed. Well, why would your team be gassed? <laughs> you'd have to kick the point and then opt to go and play another quarter with a gassed football team. It just completely blew my mind. But you asked Jim that question, Greg, and that was Jim's answer. What do you guys think, Victor? Uh, yeah, uh, I did not think he was going to go for two, but to answer your second question, he definitely should have. And <laughs> while he's done a great job holding the team together in a very turbulent, uh, what, four years now with Washington, unfortunately, Mr. Rivera is not the guy to take Washington to the next level. It might be their offensive coordinator, Mr. Bienemy, who's uh, done very, very well, but I don't think it's going to be Ron Rivera. When you're on the road against a division opponent on the last play of the game, of course you go for two points. <laughs> Andy? Yeah, I, I could see it both ways because I had the same question in my mind. On the one hand, you fought all the way to come back in that game and tie it on the final play of uh, regulation. Did you want all that to go to waste and, uh, when, when the percentages are zero, zero, zero or 100 on one play or take your chance in overtime because even should you tie, it's a road game, and that helps you uh, in the tiebreaker situation. If we're at home, I might feel a little bit differently. But also the thing is we know whatever the decision is, if it's worked, if it works, he'll be praised for making the decision. If it doesn't work, he'll be criticized for not making the other decision. So it's it's almost like a lose-lose situation unless you happen to make the decision and it turns out to be the right decision. So I could understand both points. Now, you did mention the fact that um, that Rivera uh, thought his team was uh, his guest and might not be able to uh, withstand. Remember, the overtime is, is 10 minutes. You may have two possessions if you're lucky. You might only have one. You might have none if the per first possession results in a uh, in a touchdown. So you're talking about maybe an extra eight to 10 plays that you're going to have on offense and or defense. So I could under, but I, I could understand that. But if his team was gassed as, as uh, Jim, and I think you said also, Victor, why not go for it? Because your defense might not be able to make that stop if they play an extra time here, you're turning it over your offense. And I've got to believe every team probably has half a dozen plays for specifically that situation. Uh, sometimes they'll use those plays in preseason to give opponents something to look for. In fact, if I'm a coach, I would almost run in preseason when the games don't mean anything. I might run the same play every time I have an opportunity to go for two so that it gets ingrained in the opponent's mind. Well, this team ran five times and they all ran the same play. Maybe that's the play that they're looking for in a game that counts and you've got something else in store. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Brian Dable do that last year in the opening part of the season where he went for two at the end of the one, the game that was and Tennessee. Thank, that, thanks for the that, memory that eliminated me in the survivor contest after 58 minutes. <laughs> but yeah, number one, he did yeah. that. Then he became coach of the year. Not correct. Yeah. Is that correct? So, yeah. I mean, that's a, the thing is you can make those kind of decisions. And if you're right with an underdog team, you become a hero, but it's an underdog team. And you're that big of an underdog against a quality opponent. I, I go for it. You, know, you can't become a become a hero if you're being conservative. There's no question about that. Uh, before I ask you guys uh, about, because uh, I, I I'm going to let you go with the with the last two part question. But one other thing is the 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 best trend this week is clearly in my mind on the Pittsburgh Baltimore game. 
and I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. The dog trend in that series is amazing. Um, that's just something that you just keep going with, right? Jim, we'll start with you on this one. I mean, again, the trend is just unbelievable. I forget exactly. Well, here it is. I've got it right here. This is the actual trend for the dogs in the Pittsburgh-Baltimore uh, series. Uh, you have uh, the dog uh, winning 12 of the last 17, 14, one and two against the spread in the last 17. The dog has won four straight outright the last two years. And, um, and in the series with the four point spread, you've got the last four games decided by nine points and the last six decided by 18 total. So everything's telling you to take Pittsburgh, Jim. Absolutely. And I really don't, you know, I'm, I'm, Again, we get back to the coaching issue, and I'm not a big fan of, of the old style of coaching that haven't really grown into what the NFL is today. Pittsburgh really doesn't have a quality quarterback, and Baltimore does. They, they have a very, very special quarterback. So other than the fact that this trend is sitting out there, if you said, I'm going to go with Trubisky or Pickett against Jackson every game and who do you want? Well, Jackson's going to win most of those games because of his talent and their, their coaches have both been around a long time. You said that before one was 2007. The other was 2008 when they started here, but one has an offense that because of that coach, that, that uh, quarterback that makes a big difference. Pittsburgh has looked absolutely terrible, uh, on offense, but coming off the embarrassment of last week. And it doesn't really matter if it's Pickett or Trubisky. Both of them are, are B minus or C plus quarterbacks. They're going to come to play. They're going to be, they're going to be very fired up for this division, a division home underdog. I totally am, am already on Pittsburgh plus the points. Uh, Mark, uh, wouldn't this be a situation where you probably would prefer if you're going to take Pittsburgh in this game, maybe to see Trubisky out there based on what you've referenced many times, which is the backup going out there in his first start and how the team seems to rally around the backup in that first start. So even throw that on top of it. And I think you might prefer Trubisky in the game. Well, I, I would rather have a healthy Mitch Trubisky than a, 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 Kenny Pickett, who I'm not all that thrilled with to begin with, limping around on a bad leg. There's no question about that. And it will also inspire Trubisky to at least get the taste back in his mouth about what it's like to be a starting quarterback in the league. But Andy, Andy labeled it uh, when, you know, he talked about this series has been a painted three. There's so many games fall three in this, in this series between these two football teams. You're looking at, Probably likely that could happen well again this year. The Browns come in here off. I mean, Pittsburgh, check that. Baltimore comes in off that big win over the Browns last week, and Pittsburgh is hurting. They've been out-yarded in every football game they played this year. They've got to step up and play the good game. Mike Tomlin says his football team is going to get a lot more out of them sooner than later. I think sooner happens this weekend. I have to take the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, and I'm going to let you guys go uh, by asking uh, everybody to have an opinion on two huge games this week, the Dallas-San Francisco game on Sunday night and the uh, the shootout, Oklahoma and Texas in college football. 
with Oklahoma trying to revenge a 49-0 whitewash last year in the series. Uh, matter of fact, I think they had, what, eight or nine straight games decided by one score up until that blowout last year. No Dylan Gabriel. He plays this year. So, um, and by the way, Mark, we talked about it on, on our show last week. Texas has now played th- three straight backup quarterbacks coming into this game. Now, Gabriel's starting. He's a starter, but just keep that in mind. Texas went up against three number two quarterbacks because uh, you guys referenced Jalen uh, Daniels uh, not playing last week. So that's something I think that is in- interesting to note. Um, Victor, I'll start with you with the two games, Oklahoma, Texas, Dallas, San Francisco. You know, normally in the Red River rivalry, I'm on the over almost automatically, but this is not going to be the case this year. For me, it's either going to be a pass or an under, and I'm really, really impressed with, uh, obviously, uh, Texas' great defense. But Oklahoma uh, is not known for a great defense, and they put in up some ungodly numbers this year. That's why the over-under line is so low in this game. We're somewhere around – 15 and nine and a half to 60. So I'm going to consider the under. I'm not going to be betting the over. And your second comment was in that Sunday night game between the Niners and the Cowboys. I'm going to hold off on my opinion in that game. I'm going to say that because I need the Thursday night outcome before I decide which way I'm going to be betting in the San Francisco Dallas game. And I'll just leave it at that mysteriously. Very mysteriously. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose sleep over that. <laughs> Andy? I think they have something to do with primetime games. I'm not sure, but I'm just guessing. I, I'm, I haven't decided. I want to see what happens with the line in the Oklahoma game. I don't know if it'll get up to seven, but I'd be looking to play Oklahoma. You know, Venable, the coach, horrible first season last year. He's been comes with a defensive philosophy, and Oklahoma's played decent defense uh, uh, for a good part of the season, albeit against a relatively uh, weak schedule. Maybe the best team they played was uh, Cincinnati, who still has some talent that Luke Fickle left there uh, when he left uh, for uh, Wisconsin uh, after last season. And uh, uh, Oklahoma struggled to beat them 20 to 20 to six. Uh, but then uh, the points spread was a half point win or loss, depending upon when you uh, played the game. Uh, so I'd be looking to, uh, to take the points with Oklahoma, especially if it gets up to seven. Yeah. I'm a little concerned about uh, uh, the 49 to nothing last year, but I think that had a lot to do with the situation at Oklahoma with a new coach and uh, a coach who was more known for defense than uh, the previous couple of coaches who were known for uh, their offensive bent. And I think that affected the uh, Sooners all last year. Uh, I'm not sure about the total because these teams have played some very high scoring games that were in the 90s. And I think one may have even gotten close to 100 over the last four or five years. Uh, last year, one of the teams, and it was uh, Texas, that put up the uh, uh, the 49 last year. And uh, Oklahoma probably would have put up in the mid-30s if they had uh, been playing as well as they are accustomed to. So I might actually look over in that game, uh, but because uh, both of these teams have really good offenses. And usually you take a look and say defenses have the uh, edge over offenses, but there are certain matchups, and maybe we saw it the other day in the uh, Buffalo-Miami game, although Miami's defense, although improved, is not at the caliber of Buffalo. Uh, Buffalo's Miami's defense, rather, not at the caliber of, of Miami's. I think here you've got two outstanding offenses against two some pretty good defenses that haven't uh, really been tested yet this year. And I think because we've seen the offensive consistency and it's a rivalry game, it's also their last time meeting as rivals in the Big 12 before both moved to the SEC. I'm looking for another entertaining game. So if I play the game and I haven't played it yet, I want to see if I get seven with uh, Oklahoma and see if this total goes down a little bit. 
Agree. Oh, as far as far as the uh, Monday night game, as much as Dallas has struggled against uh, San Francisco at plus four, I have to take a look at the game. But I think my better uh, opinion on the game is under that total. Jim, uh, before I uh, get your opinion on both games, I do want to ask you something I noticed in this series. Dallas has won the last three regular season games versus San Francisco, while San Francisco has won and covered the last two playoff games the last two years. So when you handicap series like that, one team beats them in the regular season, the other one beats them in the, in the playoffs, and now we're in the regular season. How do you take that into account? Well, it, it's a it's a game where Dallas. I mean, you might look at it this way. I'm not looking at it this way, but, but you could look at this and say which which team would make a bigger statement for their club by winning this game, and that would be Dallas because they've already lost the game, and they have lost in the in the playoffs to this team, and the number one rated team in the NFC is San Francisco. So this is a and it's a road. Rogan, if they went into San Francisco, all of a sudden they might become the favorite to win the NFC uh, championship. To me, when I look at the roster, when I look at the coaching, and coaching is very big to me, uh, it's it, I, San Francisco is just a better team. And they have a more aggressive coach. They have a more offensive-minded coach. They've got, I mean, Purdy hasn't lost the game yet until the game when he won against Philly and got hurt. So, I mean, right there, that's, you talk about a trend. Here's a guy who hasn't even lost. So, and how the hell did they pick them last in the draft or didn't, you know, there's a lot of people in the NFL that don't even get picked in the draft. But San Francisco is the better team. They're playing a little bit at home. You don't give too much for home, home field, one and a half, two points at the most. I like, I like San Francisco, but... Saying that, there's a, one thing I do when I'm playing small favorites is I usually play the money line. It's the same thing I do in baseball. So why not? I mean, I don't want to get into that situation that Andy talked about so much where there's three points is a, is a key number. I don't want to lay three points. Uh, I want, I'm going to play the money line. I'll lay the number. And I like San Francisco to win the game. And as far as the other game is concerned in college, I went over 59 when it opened. By the way, what, what's uh, for your money line on a favorite? How what's the highest you'll go? Oh, I, I, I'll go to I'll go to two to one if I if I really like it. But I didn't. I played, played this at one sixty five. It's up to one eighty at this point. Mark. Well, I understand Jim's thinking, and I really like his thoughts about three point favorites uh, instead of laying the price, laying the wood, or not the wood, but uh, laying the favorite in playing the money line instead, it saves you a lot of agony and bad beats. <laughs> uh, it throws it out from a bad beat segment on the Scott Van Pelt show is what it does. Uh, <laughs> as far as uh, the Oklahoma-Texas game is concerned, in this week's playbook newsletter, we have a featured column in there called 5-0 and Fat Cats. And what we do is we break down how teams who start out 5-0 and in their college football season do, how they fare in game six. Simply put, as favorites, bad. As underdogs, good. You have a collision of the two in this football game. You got a fat cat favorite laying points into a fat cat dog, and you got that matter of that 49 nothing revenge from last football season. 
I can only look one way, and that would be to Oklahoma in this football game. The other game is a tougher game for me because you do have that playoff loss revenge from the Dallas Cowboys uh, last football season here, and you know they're going to be geeked up for that. It it didn't work for Miami last week, however, when they went into Buffalo, but it is in place here in this football game. What jumps off the page to me is San Francisco had had been, had been, had's the key word, a horrible home favorite for the longest while. But look here now, all of a sudden, the last 15 times they've been at home and laid points, they've won all 15 games and are 14 and one against the spread. They're just destroying the number. And a lot of this has happened since Christian McCaffrey has come over here. Uh, C-Mac has really made a huge, huge impression on this football team. I could only look to San Francisco in the football game. They're clearly the best team in the National Football League, and I don't want to step in front of them right now. Well, running backs shouldn't get paid, though, in the NFL anymore, Mark. Well, <laughs> you sound you sound Bob like an owner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, does anybody else? Go ahead, Jim. Something to that: the pendulum swings, and we know that sometimes it swings too far. This this overpaying of quarterbacks is the most one of the most ridiculous business decisions I've ever seen. You're paying one person that's going to have the ball each time and is going to get hit a lot unless you have a super offensive line. You're paying this one person all this money at the cost of not being able to build up and pay other players on your team that would make your team a better team rather than having this one superstar. Give me this a bunch of crap that running backs are not valuable. This That's one of the most important decisions. First of all, they block. So it's like having an extra lineman if you want to block for your quarterback. Second, they gain yardage in key spots when you need something, especially in the red zone. You want to be passing the ball? You want your quarterback to be running? It's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. This new age that tells you this stuff, they're not right. They're wrong. We have to go back to basics. The offensive line and the running back is as important as the quarterback, and they need to balance out who they're paying. Look By the way, at the same, at the same Brown, token, Jim. you've got uh, Christian McCaffrey, who's an excellent pass catcher, along with a lot of other running backs in this league who can contribute uh, uh, both ways, both running and passing the ball, whether it be red zone or midfield. Correct. I was going to say, look at the Cleveland Browns since Nick Chubb has gone down. Uh, their running game has completely disappeared, uh, largely because they're using backup running backs. Uh and there's even talk right now before we did this podcast that the Browns are even looking at the possibility of signing Jonathan Taylor, uh, making a trade for him from the Colts. It would be a one-year rental, but nonetheless, that's what the Browns are looking at because the, it's gone that bad for the Cleveland Browns. It's ridiculous that they don't pay running backs in the National Football League. Every every coach and every real good handicapper realizes that you win money betting these football teams, you win games in the scoreboard if you're a coach by establishing a running game because a running game sets everything else up. Yeah. The um, importance of that is that, uh, you know, if you have a good running game, you can run out the clock in the fourth quarter and take time off and shorten the game. But maybe it follows the Bill Belichick model where he would just plug in a different running back seemingly every year and still go on and win Super Bowls. Yeah. But he, he has, not, he he has, Brady, he has Tom backs. Brady at <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. I, I do want to let I mean, everybody the, or the, the viewers team, know the out there that we back. have, Go ahead. The gene tag did go along with having Tom Brady there. Well, you, so you put the genius tag on Belichick, who knows a lot more about football than I will ever know. But with Tom Brady there, he did appear to be a genius. Now, without him, 
look at the decisions he's made. Mac Jones doesn't look like he's going to be great. Ruined. Put in Patricia as an offensive coordinator, right? Like yeah. he did last year. The this genius model is ridiculous. I don't. The media builds this stuff up, and they're full of it. You go back to his days in Cleveland. He was a below-average coach, but that was his first coaching job. He goes to New England, has Tom Brady for nearly 20 years, and they're the best team in football, and they've basically been an average team in, what, the three seasons plus that uh, that he's been gone. What's their record? It's probably within a game or two of 500. Hey, Greg, let me say this one thing here. I know you're a Jets fan, and uh, things are not going well for the Jets. Things are not going well for the Giants. Uh, in fact, it's really, really gone bad and sour here. I, I heard this today, and it kind of blew my mind, that the Jets have not run a play this year when they've had a lead in the football game. Not run a play. In a football game, so oh. let's try this year. I didn't even. I will, that. I will say though, the Jack, Zach Wilson did play extremely well the other day, and if he can keep up that, now, this goes back to the coaching. They had been running on first down and on second down, and the kid was always at third and seven, third and eight, third and nine, third and ten, or or even if they lost yards, third and fifteen. So you know what's going to happen. The defense tees off on you. Offensive. Coaches, offensive-minded coaches that know how to matriculate the ball down the field. I love that word. I hardly ever use it. <laughs> it's so, a four-syllable word, Jim. That's really nice. <laughs> that's hard for me. I'm going to graduate in high school and all that stuff. So, But the, you, need, you need to have a balance of that. You just can't throw a kid in there and, and do that. You, not everybody is Aaron Rodgers who could handle all that. But the, the kid played well the other night, and I hope he plays well this week. Very good, guys. Uh, that's going to uh, put the wraps on our roundtable for this week. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really uh, get a big kick out of it, and I really learn a lot doing this. And like I said, if you have any subjects you would like us to hit and talk about for the roundtable, be sure to reach out to us, and we'll put it on the menu, on the schedule, and do just that. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence Against the Spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. With that, I'm going to move over to my awesome angle of the week on the show this week, and it has to do with what I just talked about, those 5-0 and fat cats in the world of college football. And what our awesome angle says this week is to play against any 5-0 and single-digit road favorite in game six of the college football season if they're facing an opponent that's looking for revenge. Simply put, these teams are just 8-24 and against the spread in this role. You flip it around, you're 24-8 by fading them, a 75% winning angle. This week, we play against Fresno State as a 5-0 single-digit road favorite this particular week. Before Victor and I move on to our complimentary free picks in the show, I'm going to thank Andy Isco and Jim Feist. Andy, before we let you guys go here, is there a complimentary play you, want, you wanted to show with our listeners before we go? Yeah, I think I'm going to go with that game we sort of talked about or touched upon briefly during some of the analysis. I'm going to take a look at that game between Miami and the Giants. And, of course, it's the NFL, and almost anything can happen. So, you know, a lot of people will expect the Giants to put forth a good performance this week, uh, despite what we've witnessed in the first four weeks of the season. Uh, Miami's loss last week uh, in the AFC showdown to Buffalo, as I mentioned, uh, the offense still performed well. They were only outgained by 21 yards by the Bills. Uh, they averaged 6.8 yards per play. Uh, they were minus two in turnovers. And the defense this year, this week steps down in class after facing the Bills uh, to face a, a Giants team uh, that uh, is averaging, or in their three losses before they had that great comeback against Arizona or surrounded by that great 
comeback against Arizona. The Giants have averaged a paltry 3.4 yards per play in 185 offensive plays in their three losses. In averaging, uh, in their lone win, a 31-28 comeback, uh, where they trailed 20 to nothing and 28-7, they did average 6.6 yards per play while playing catch-up and being forced to gain yardage in order to come back and ultimately uh, win the game. Giants have huge woes with their offensive line. They've been outscored 122-46 to for the season. And their three losses have been by 40, 18, and 21 points, all to playoff caliber teams in, uh, in their three losses, Dallas, uh, San Francisco, and uh, uh, Seattle last Monday night. Uh, Miami's clearly... Uh, a playoff contender, uh, may even be more than a contender. Uh, th- these are some astounding stats for Miami with their offense this year. They're number one in total points, in total yards per game at 511, which includes number one rushing at 177 and in passing at 334. They lead in yards per play at 8.0, points per game 37.5, yards per play differential of plus 2.3, which if you do the subtraction, that's 5.7 yards per play defensively, but some right around the NFL average, maybe slightly better despite that outstanding offense that they have. Uh, they face a Giants defense that's yet to force a turnover through four games. Giants are also playing after playing at home Monday night, so uh, they're taking to the road with a little bit yet, uh, uh, little bit uh, less uh, time to prepare. I said, say, yeah, it's the NFL. Nothing would surprise, but other than the they have to show some improvement this week adage, it's hard to make a case for the Giants, especially with Miami off its first loss of the season, which came to one of the uh, Super Bowl favorites. So I've got Miami uh, winning this game, something along the lines of 34-17. Andy Isco on the New York Giants for his conversation. No, on, on, on Miami. On Miami, I'm sorry. Fading the New York Giants. Yeah. Sorry about that. Fading the New York Giants using the Miami Dolphins. And, Jim, before I let you go, any final thoughts that you have on the NFL card this week? Well, I think the most important and, and, and game that if I didn't watch any games this week, I'm going to definitely watch the Dallas-San Francisco game because you got two quality clubs playing against each other. And it's, it, you don't really get that too much in the NFL. NFL this year because you have some teams that are just not competitive. I think we had six or seven teams last week that didn't even score 10 points, which tells you a lot. But I like San Francisco in this game. They're, they got a, the better coaching, the more more aggressive offense. The, the coach, I mean, the, the turnovers from by the quarterback definitely favor San Francisco. Uh, the control ball movement, uh, the, the running back with the you know, McCaffrey is, and then the, the other talent, the wide receiver and, and uh, Depot Samuel, all that, it's all favors San Francisco playing at home. I'm laying the money line with San Francisco in that game. Jim plays the money line with the San Francisco 49ers for his play on the show this week. Great job. Once again, AI, Andy Isco, Jim Feist, the legend in Las Vegas, joining us here on Mark Lawrence against the spread. With that, let's move on to my complimentary play, Victor's complimentary play for the final segment on the show. And I want to remind our listeners once again, our friends at uwager.lv, where you can get up to a 200% sign-up bonus. You heard me right. If you haven't been a customer at uwager.lv, log on, give them a call at 800-U-Wager, and you can be eligible for up to a 200% sign-up bonus, the home of free same-day payouts, uwager.lv. And with that, Victor... Let's move on to your complimentary play. We heard from Tuco earlier on in the show. What's Victor King looking at for his complimentary play? And what have you got going this weekend? Well, you know, I'm going to join Andy in this one. And uh, in the game he was talking about down here in South Florida, the Giants and the Dolphins. Of course, for us, it's going to be a total and it's going to be 
under the total in this game. A total that at one point was around 50, and it's come back down to 48 and a half. And you're going to want to make sure that you get that hook 48 and a half or higher when you make your play. I'm not going to ignore the fact that Dolphin home games, remember last year, one over seven unders in their home games, only 37.1 combined points per game. And uh, with Miami laying double digits in this one, we're not going to bury the lead. Non-division big home favorites of eight or greater have gone three and 18 over under when the over under line in the game is greater than 45 points. Now I'm certainly aware that uh, we have got the number one scoring offense in the entire NFL in Miami, taking on the number 32 scoring offense in the New York Giants. And I know that Miami allowed a whopping 48 points to Buffalo last week. With that said, the database tells us that NFL teams have gone two and 20 over under after allowing 40 points to a division opponent the previous week. On the flip side, of course, we got New York. We got short rest. They just played at home on Monday night, plug it into the database and we get five and 24 over under that's five overs, 24 unders over the last four years for all NFL teams after playing a Monday non-division home game like the Giants. We're at 48 and a half. We're going under with the Dolphins and the Giants. Uh, we may join Andy on his play on Miami plus the side. But for us, it's going low down here in South Florida, Mark. Victor on this football game going low in the Miami-New York Giant football game for his complimentary play. You can pick up all of King Creole Sports plays this weekend. Simply log on at playbooksports.com or the shortcut address. Victor, you have your shortcut address for our listeners out there? VK. Thank you, Mark. And we'll take you right to Victor's page, and you'll find out exactly what he's got on tap this weekend. Moving on to my complimentary play on the football card this week, I'm going to take a look at a non-conference dog I think is a live dog on the football card this week. By the way, from our midweek alert, there are 21 teams in college football playing this week that have won the stats in every game they've played. This is one of those 21 teams, perfect in the stats. They're also 10-1 and one against the spread the last 11 times that they dressed up as road dogs, cashing five straight times in a row. Against the conference they're playing today, in the last nine games they played, they've only lost to the money two times. I'm talking about the Marshall Thundering Herd when they take on NC State this particular weekend. They're not getting a lot of respect at all. This is a very, very good football team. And I think this game has got upset capability written all over it. you got the Wolfpack here on a little bit of a downslide here. In fact, you take a look at how they've done against other fellow FBS teams, like for like. They've been outstanding in three of those four football games. In fact, the only win they have is by 91 little yards over UConn. They're not playing good football, the Wolfpack. They're 0-3 to the spread laying points this year. I think it moves to 0-4. Give me Marshall plus the points in this football game. And that's going to put the final wraps on this edition of Mark Lawrence against the spread. I'm going to thank our co-host Victor King from King Creole Sports, Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com, and our good friend Jim Feist, the legend in Las Vegas, for joining us and helping make this show everything it was and more for you this week. Until next week, once again, this is Mark Lawrence reminding you to always to remember to bet with your head, not over it. 
and good luck as always. 